Well, my desire for us is that we would be fed from the whole counsel of God's Word, both the Old Testament and New Testament. And I've been strangely drawn to, um, I don't know strangely drawn is the right way to say it, maybe uh, moved by the Holy Spirit, to spend some time in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, uh, specifically the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, the Song of Solomon, and I know we'll have some breaks in there for Thanksgiving and Advent, uh, which are quickly approaching. Um, I think we'll find the words of Ecclesiastes to be eminently practical uh, for the world that we live in. Practical, sobering really for the church in every generation, in any context that it finds itself, uh, which is just the beauty and wonder of God's Word. But before we start reading through Ecclesiastes and spending that time together, Um, I think it's important for us to understand the life and experience of the teacher behind those words. Um, There's several theories that have been put forward on, um, you know, on the literature of Ecclesiastes and you know what time period that Hebrew was was constructed and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's it's really kind of a a mystery. Um, And yet there are are many conservative scholars. Uh, who would still agree, this is where, where I think I would align, that the preacher and teacher, the one who is assembling the group uh, to hear this word of Ecclesiastes uh, is King Solomon. Uh, Solomon who is sharing and teaching in a way that's quite a bit different than anything else we find uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, so I'll talk some more about that, but I'm going to run with that position um, that what we find in Ecclesiastes is from the wisdom of Solomon. He is the son of David. He is a king over Israel and Jerusalem, which is how Ecclesiastes uh, opens. But before we turn to that book, we're going to go back into the history of Israel uh, and help us understand a little bit about this man behind Ecclesiastes. Uh, so we're going to go to 1 Kings 10, if you haven't turned there already. First uh, Kings 10 and part of 11. Obviously, we could spend a lot more time uh, with this many verses. But the goal, uh, to remind us who uh, King Solomon was in the context here of redemptive history. Um, so I'm going to start here, First Kings 10. Read through the first 10 verses initially. Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord... She came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men! Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, He has made you king. 
that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. We'll stop there for the moment. The grass withers, the flower fades, but is the word of our God that endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, we know that, uh, that this is Your Word. Uh, it is coming from You, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask that You would uh, work Your Word to perform it. Lord, You are good and wise. Your promises are sure. And as we consider the life of this man that You raised up, that You endowed with such wisdom and wealth, Lord, may it only move our, our vision uh, to the great king, the true Solomon who continues to reign over all things, infinitely wise, infinitely good, with wealth beyond measure, in whose life we abide. Lord, we thank you for this word. Guide our time now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So what kind of a goose fights with snakes? A mongoose, right? Um, which three letters can frighten a thief away? I see you. I see you. The bigger I become, the less you see. Darkness, of course. Um, what four-letter word can be written forward, backward, upside down, and can still be read from left to right? The word noon can do that. Now, if there are four sheep, two dogs, one herdsman, how many feet are there? Only two. Dogs have paws and the sheep have hooves. Only two feet. And if fish lived on land, where would they live? In Finland, of course. In Finland. So did you get any of those? Have any Solomon moments? Um, <laughs> these, these riddles. Uh, Solomon was a man who could answer the hard questions in riddles. Probably a little bit more challenging than the ones that I just uh, shared with you. But as we read about Solomon here, we are in the glory days of Israel. This is when Israel is a united uh, kingdom. Um, the fame of Solomon is spreading throughout the land, which is no small feat in itself, without satellites and, and internet. Um, and this fame of Solomon is really built around three major categories. It was the king's wisdom, uh, Solomon's wealth, and his women that made him uh, the talk, uh, talk of these trade routes. Uh, so that's what we're going to focus on uh, from these w verses, just as a way of capturing the life and experience uh, of this great king. Solomon's wisdom, wealth, and women would be what the world remembers him for. If I were to ask any one of you, what, tell me about King Solomon, you're likely going to hone in on, on one or more of those uh, categories. Um, the king's intellect, his wisdom is famous uh, throughout the known world. Uh, not because he was just really good at simple riddles like that or really good at you know, double jeopardy type questions. Um, he understood not just the fact, he understood why the facts are important. He understood how the world worked. How people thought. So much so that when two women come into his court claiming that this beautiful child well, belongs to, to, to one of them, to each of them, well, Solomon says, well, that's easy. Just cut the baby in half. 
Everybody goes home happy, except for the baby. Um, didn't take very long to determine who mama was. Um, this kind of wisdom was um, what the king had asked for from the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, God had granted him wisdom unmatched. Um, and when someone is that smart, when someone has that type of wisdom, it's typically intriguing. Um, people have questions. Sometimes people have deep questions they'd like the answers to. Um, I was visiting some of the folks on base last weekend, and I was uh, toting around this little bag of peanut M&Ms. And so if you know me... Um, uh, if, if you know me well, you know what a sacrifice it is for me to give away bags of peanut M&M's. But they weren't just free. As I walked around, I said, you can have a bag of peanut M&M's, you just have to answer one of my questions. Um, and one of the questions that I asked on occasion to, to a few different folks was, what question would you most like the answer to? And there were some pretty good questions. You know, where we're going to be moving next month, we want to know if this is the right time, the right place to move. That, that's a great question. I'd like to know the answer to that. Um, one of the uh, airmen who was sitting there said, well, I'd like to know the meaning of life. I said, that's a great question. Um, that's a really important question for us to answer. And what I really wanted to say at that moment was, come with me, let's sit down and, and, and have some more questions for you. Uh, maybe that time will come. But that's the type of question that King Solomon would geek out over. You know, what's the meaning of life? Um, he understood to the degree that perhaps no one else, no other human being ever has, uh, the way things really work. Um, so people are curious, require some independent verification, and so that's what the Queen of Sheba sets out to do here. Uh, now normally, someone of her stature, a, a queen like this, would not make this journey herself. She'd send an entourage of you know, other uh, ambassadors on her behalf, but she doesn't. She actually goes herself. It could have been up to 1,500 miles that she actually traveled to see... Uh, King Solomon. Um, and though you know, her time there may have been to talk about other trade potential and, and some of those things, her real goal was to verify what she had heard about Solomon and his uh, wisdom. Uh, it turns out she's not disappointed. Every riddle she had, every question that she sincerely wanted an answer to, Solomon had an answer. Think what a gift that is. What the dream of every guy to be able to answer every question that the woman has. Um, he could explain it all. Um, and so when, when the queen heard this and she saw the extravagance of his court, she was absolutely speechless. Um, it was all true. She's actually jealous of the people who get to hang out with Solomon in his court. And then, you know, kings and queens would typically only pay tribute to someone they considered superior, um, greater than themselves. And so the queen here um, recognizes she is in the presence of greatness with King Solomon. Which begs another question, is whose greatness? Um, whose real greatness? Certainly on display with this king in Israel. But here is a foreign non-Jewish leader who seems to recognize that only a great God could produce such a great king. See in verse, verse 1 and in, in verse 9. Um, if this is all true of Solomon, then what kind of God must he have? 
this God must be wise. He must be a God of love to really endow His people with such, uh, with such a great King who has such wisdom, who can exercise this justice and righteousness. Uh, this God is amazing, unlike any other God. And, uh, so that, I mean, that's a healthy response to Solomon's wisdom. Even one that Solomon himself, other kings in Israel would uh, forget or ignore. Something else that kind of stands out here as we think about Solomon. That's what we're trying to do. We're, we're thinking about Solomon here and the type of man he was, what the Lord had entrusted to him. You notice as we read through this, the things that the queen admires, they all, not all, but, but so much of it is focused around Solomon himself and around those who surround him and his court. Uh, his house, his food, his attendants, his servants, his worship. All of the offerings that he, that he presented. Nothing is really said about the rest of the kingdom. How the people of Israel are actually faring. When the people of Israel, when they beg for a king like all the other nations, this is back in, uh, in 1 Samuel, the Lord warns them. Listen to, to a few of these verses from 1 Samuel 8. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. I mean, that, that's a sober warning. Words to keep in mind as we read more about Solomon. You know, this king who is living in absolute luxury at the expense of what? Great potential here for good. Also great potential for damage uh, in the land. Um, so considering the wisdom of Solomon, uh, this experience with the Queen of Sheba, you know, why do we care? N none of us are as wise as King Solomon. Uh, we haven't experienced this type of luxury as subjects under a king, you know, under an earthly king like this. Uh, but if we see Solomon as a marker, okay, Solomon a pointer, a, a picture of another king, then there is much for us to consider uh, and to think about. Because there is a son of David, one who rules on the throne over his people Israel to this very moment. And this king is infinitely wiser than Solomon. You know of whom I speak. Jesus Christ is the true and greater Solomon. The one whom the Apostle Paul said are, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, Jesus wasn't just given vast amounts of wisdom by God. He is the wisdom of God. The living Word shares His wisdom even as He creates all things that we can see and contemplate. The living Word, His wisdom is on display as He teaches. Wisdom preserved for you in the Bible that you have there in your lap. He's wise in the way that He 
organizes and sustains his church. Um, how do we respond to that? Maybe like the Queen of Sheba, who brings all this tribute to Solomon, we admire and we honor our king for his wisdom. We honor him through our worship. We honor him by our obedience, by our trust. Trusting what God is doing in our personal lives at this very moment. Trusting what God is doing in and through His church. The community around us in our nation. That, that's a way we actually honor the Lord in His wisdom. And, and I know this is something I need. I think we need this. Because we're prone to doubt. We're prone to complain. Second guess what God may be doing. But if we just stop for a millisecond and contemplate just how prideful and arrogant that is if we truly believe that our King is all wisdom and all perfection. There's something else before we look at, at Solomon's wealth. Do we go to our all-wise, omniscient King the way that this Queen curiously goes to King Solomon? Uh, with her questions. Let's not be afraid to do this. Take your questions, the hardest questions that you have to God. Maybe it is a question, like I asked this, you know, what is the meaning of life? See how he answers those questions. Go ahead and verify the reputation of Jesus. This is something that the journalist uh, Lee Strobel, he did many years ago. His wife committed her life to Christ. And then he set out to prove just how ridiculous it was for her to do that. Um, as a journalist, I mean, he did the research, he read the books, he did the interviews, um, and the result was quite the opposite of what he set out to do. Um, so we have his conclusions in the case for Christ. Um, when we go to Jesus genuinely curious, we may find that he shows us a wisdom and a glory that far exceeds our expectations. So the Queen of Sheba, she's amazed, offers gifts to Solomon uh, before she returns home. So I want to pick up here in verse 14. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minus of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps, and at the back of the throne was a calf's head. And on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests while twelve lions stood there, one on each end of a step on the, on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, 
which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Ku, and the king's traders received them from Ku at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So material wealth here beyond, beyond what we could really uh, imagine, although we can imagine uh, quite a bit. Um, recently started to set up those first checking accounts for my kids. And something that I have learned and that they will learn uh, soon is that the money leaves the checking account a lot faster than it actually comes in. And, uh, and yet for some, it seems that the checking account is rather bottomless. Uh, it, never, it, it never all leaves. When you think of, of the luxuries of the super wealthy, things like private jets and exotic vacations and or, you know, the real estate and precious jewelry. There are such things in this world as $5 million engagement rings. There are such things as $30 million watches in this world. Um, the, uh, the founder of Facebook, he spent just a mere $130 million on 700 acres of beachfront in Hawaii. Uh, that was just the land. Still has to build on it yet. Um, it's hard to imagine, at least for, for Solomon a more positive financial picture than this. With the animals, all the minerals, the weapons. I mean, here Israel's at the center of international trade. And then you start putting the taxes, tariffs and everything else on top of that. Solomon has a bottomless checking account. I mean, he, he's the one who invested in Amazon and Facebook and Apple and Tesla when they were first starting out. Um, so now he can just watch these storehouses fill up. The ivory detail, the weapons made of gold. You don't go into battle with a gold shield. You know, this is for decoration. This is for ceremony. And it's a way of actually acquiring and storing gold without actually filling the treasuries. You can, you can put it in these shields and store it around the country in different, different places. Um, and it was at least, just to translate this a little bit, at least 50,000 pounds of gold coming in uh, every year from this trade. Uh, so much so that it makes silver, oh look, a silver coin. Big deal. It's just a stone in those days. Um, incredible, incredible wealth by the hand of the Lord. Now Solomon didn't pray for this wealth. Remember, he prayed for wisdom, and because he did that, the Lord gives him both. This wealth is a gift entrusted to him uh, by the Lord. The Lord has faithfully kept his promise. So the question is, will Solomon keep his? With all this wisdom, with all this wealth, is he acting justly and caring for the people? And the text actually, it leads us to these answers. And it's not looking good for Solomon. 
Which, based on what we've read so far, you go, what do you mean it's not looking good? It doesn't get to look any better than this. But here are a couple of verses from Deuteronomy 17. Warning of God regarding future kings. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excess silver and gold. So by the time we get to the end of chapter 10, into, into 11, I mean, we're in the downward slope here for King Solomon, the wisest, wealthiest man of the known world. Um, let me phrase this just a, a little differently to give us some perspective. Solomon has become the arms dealer of the Middle East. Uh, horses, chariots, minerals. I mean, it's a very prosperous business, but at what cost? Sometimes I think about modern trade that way. Look at how prosperous it is, but at what cost, really? Later on, it's going to be the Syrians, and it will be the Egyptians who attack a divided Israel. Where do you think they got the weapons to do all that? Um, Israel's own destruction. So this, this king is headed for a fall. We, we can hear it. Uh, we sense that as, as we read through this history, and then we get to chapter 11, um, and it just confirms this. But before we actually uh, read those verses, um, as we're following the true Solomon, the greater Solomon in the Lord Jesus, uh, what do we learn? What can we learn from such extravagant wealth what we've read here? Um, I think we can certainly, we can praise God for His good gifts. This wealth, the, the universal beauty of gold. I mean, that, that is a bounty that the Lord provides. We thank Him. We acknowledge that it belongs to Him. Uh, we use this wealth that He entrusts for uh, the advancement of what is good and true. Uh, so we should admire the, the beauty of what God uh, is doing. Um, the beauty of what God is doing in us through His church. I like how, how Phil Riken, he captured this, this picture. He says, The beauty of Solomon's temple, the food of Solomon's table, the clothing on Solomon's servant. We too admire the beauty of the temple God is building by His Spirit. We admire the sacramental food. We eat at the royal table of the Lord's Supper. The robes of righteousness He gives to all His servants. Do you hear how the wealth of Solomon... It, it points to the glory and splendor of our spiritual union with Jesus. The life in His kingdom. So we're, we're wise to remember, uh, as, we, as we admire what the Lord entrusts, but wise to remember that there is um, things of so much more value than gold. The Word of God that you hold, infinitely more valuable. We have more copies here than we even know what to do with. More value than all the wealth of this world. Gold and silver cannot buy the most precious and valuable things. Uh, and we know where this gold rests, right? Retirement accounts, physical assets, stocks, all those things. They cannot forgive you. They cannot, uh, they have no power to save you. They cannot comfort you in the day of trouble. If you're a Hobbit fan, then you, you know, beware of the dragon sickness, right? 
will consume you and ultimately destroy you. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. In other words, it's impossible. Impossible. Apart from the saving work of God Himself. I think it's one of the greatest dangers in the Western church. Um, the church in our land, you know, regardless of what uh, you know, denomination one may align with, we are so comfortable we are so affluent that we see little need for God. There, there's no fear of God before our eyes because we just buy what we think we need to sort of satisfy our God complex or at least to pacify us one more day. And is it any wonder that Jesus speaks to the topic of money more than anything else in the New Testament? Um, if we don't see a need that money can't buy, then we'll be very slow to repent and turn to Christ. Or we will play church as a way of you know, paying for the fire insurance. We're still paying for it. But the King is not on the throne of our lives. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Near the end of Job's account, here's another man who the Lord provided great wealth. Here's what Job said. If I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because of my wealth was abundant, or because my hand had found much, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for I would have been false to God above. Moving into chapter 11 here, we see where Solomon's treasure is, where his heart had gone. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Um, you know, isn't it interesting how the sins of the fathers um, often follow us? Uh, it was true for Solomon. Um, you probably see that in your own life, your own experience. Solomon's dad was an adulteress. Solomon's a product of, of that union. Um, but unlike his father David, we don't see Solomon turning in repentance, turning back to the Lord. Instead, he just adds to this adulterous relationships, turns to other gods. And whatever Solomon did, he did big, including his, uh, his own sexual sin. Okay, the king of Israel is not to compete with other kings, especially not in this way. I mean, 700 wives, 300 concubines, 
unknown number of princesses and the fact that they were princesses tells us that so many of these unions were likely political unions. So he's uniting with the very nations that Israel is told to drive out of the promised land. He says he clung to them in love. And this is not the, the selfless, faithful, committed love of marriage. That's between one man and one woman by God's good design. This is not a picture of that. This is the erotic pleasure status uh, that so many women afforded him. When we get to the New Testament, Paul reminds us, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Solomon's fall uh, is great as these um, women lead his heart astray. Really is one of the greatest tragedies in the history of redemption, if not the history of the world that we have here. A man who literally has everything going for him. Everything. He's born, he's born royalty. He's given all this, this wisdom and wealth. I mean, the man was, he was, he was a builder, a scholar, a poet, all of these things. And on top of this, and this is real, on top of this, he loved the Lord. At one time, and we go, we go back to, to 1 Kings 8. We won't turn there now, but the dedication of the temple and the prayer that Solomon offers, I mean, there's, there's great godliness there. He modeled that for the people, but near the end, he turns away from the very one who had lavished him with all of this wisdom and wealth. Um, and so now he's, he's building temples to these foreign gods, temples that would rival the temple in Jerusalem. Um, which when you think about it, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The predominant thought in this time is that you know, the, the, the gods provided for their people and they're the ones that protected them. And so if one nation defeated another, well then that god of that nation, of the defeated nation, was impotent. It had no power. It wasn't worth any worship or sacrifice. So for Solomon, the worship of these gods, he had control over these other nations. He had power over them. What foolishness would this be? And that's the nature of sin. Sin is foolishness. Sin is irrational. It makes no sense. And this sin finally found out King Solomon. Um, and so that, that may be the hardest thing about this tragedy is that Solomon had chosen to follow the Lord. But at some point along the line, he stopped following. He stopped choosing the Lord in obedience. He started choosing the pleasures, pursuits of this world instead. Good reminder for us uh, that when we, when we choose to follow after Christ by His sovereign mercy and grace, it's not just a one and done type choice. Uh, we must do this continually. Choosing a life of dependence. Choosing a life of obedience to the Lord's commands over the choices of death that surround us. So instead of inclining his heart to God, Solomon's heart was divided. We see how damaging this is. We see how damaging it is when you have a well-known leader, someone who, who claims to be, to be following the Lord very faithfully. And we see them 
turn away. We see them fall. What great damage that is. The greater gifts, the greater the damage in its wake. Um, so church, it's a call for us to endure. To incline our hearts to God who has united us to our covenant King. Our King who is on His throne forever. A King who is entirely committed. A King who never looked at a woman lustfully. Who never committed the smallest of sins. King Jesus, the wiser, wealthier, obedient Solomon of God's kingdom, rules over us. He rules in us who believe. Jesus was asked His own riddle of sorts. Uh, he was tested by Jewish authorities. So, you know, Jesus, give, give us proof of your wisdom. Okay, a sign of, of who you really are and what it is you're up to. And Jesus responded by saying, no, no more signs are going to be given. You, you've had the signs. They've been uh, ignored. But on this particular day, Jesus ends, um, ends a discussion with this word. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So remembering the Queen of Sheba, who she attributed the wisdom and wealth to. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Greater than Solomon. And given what we find in the words of Ecclesiastes, and we don't know for sure, Solomon may have, may have learned from his mistakes and turned, returned to the Lord. We don't know, but what we do know is the glory of Solomon's reign shows us the glory of Christ. The king who excels them all over a kingdom that endures forever. Jesus owns, he owns the splendor and majesty of heaven. All belongs to him. I mean, Solomon's wisdom and his wealth would be, they wouldn't even register. And yet Christ lays that aside to die for our sins. I mean, that, that's real love. Love the Father has for us. A love that, that keeps us even when we make choices like we've just read. Tragic choices. So let's endure. Let's hold on to Christ in faith. Knowing that He's holding on to us. And, and sooner rather than later, as we, as we hold fast, then the things of this world... Well, well they, they, they become more clear. The things of this world are shown to be what they really are. Ultimately unsatisfying. And ultimately passing away. And that, that's an important message. Learn the hard way by the man who gives us Ecclesiastes. Let's pray. Father, we have to learn so many things the hard way. And as we look at the wisdom and wealth, the prosperity of King Solomon, Lord, it moves our hearts and minds to the true and greater Solomon. To You, Lord Jesus, Your infinite wisdom and Your love for us. You have cared for us. And um, You reign with absolute justice and righteousness. Uh, Lord, You did not come to, to be served as a king in the palace with such luxury, but to serve and to give Your very life for us. Oh, what wondrous love this is. Lord, we thank You that it is Your love that holds us. 
May we look to You and cling to You. Hold fast to You when there's so much that pulls our hearts away. Lord, thank You for holding us. Help us that we might endure faithfully until You, our reigning King, returns on high. We pray this in Your name. Amen.